I'm Tavis Smiley, and I'm delighted to have you tuned into our program today. And um, great first hour, uh, that bad phone line notwithstanding. I was just laughing and to myself and thinking as I'm preparing for a conversation with the former administrator for NASA <laughs> that, that we can send folk into outer space if we can't get a good phone line for a conversation uh, from the Bay Area to Los Angeles. <laughs> but, but I digress. In this hour, Charles Bolden is the former administrator for NASA, a retired U.S. Marine Corps Major General and a former astronaut who flew on not one, not two, not three, but four space shuttle missions. And he did all this as a black man, believe it or not. He joins us now for a career conversation and to talk about new discoveries in space. Uh, Administrator Bolden, uh, now retired. Good to have you on the program, sir. It's been a long time since I heard your voice. How are you, my friend? Tavis, it's great to be with you, and hopefully you do hear me. I hear you superbly. <laughs> uh, it is great to be with you again after quite a while. It has been a while. It's great to hear your voice again. Um, I've, I've told this story before, speaking of phone lines, uh, but it's one of the great great, great joys of, of my life, and I'll never forget it for as long as I live. And He just turned 90, and he is my friend Quincy Jones. Um, and uh, as you know, having been in outer space uh, on four different space shuttles, uh, for those who have not heard the story, I just love telling it, so I'll tell it again. But, but when you're on the space shuttle, every morning they wake up to a particular song. It's a song they play in outer space every morning when they wake up. So their alarm clock is this song um, that NASA uh, plays to wake them up every morning. And on this particular morning, um, on the occasion of the 50th anniversary of Fly Me to the Moon by the chairman of the board, Frank Sinatra, produced and arranged by one Quincy Jones. Um, I got a call from NASA one day and they asked me if I would, if I could connect the new, they somehow they knew that I knew Q. Mr. Smiley, can you connect with Quincy Jones? And we have an opportunity. We think he might be interested. And I said, do tell. So we, the space shuttle astronauts wake up to a song every morning and we think it'd be cool on the 50th anniversary of this song produced by Mr. Jones uh, that will wake them up to fly me to the moon. And if you're interested, if you're interested, we can patch you and Mr. Jones to the space shuttle. And the two of you can talk to them when they wake up. And I laughed and said, if I'm interested, <laughs> if, if, if I am interested. <laughs> so, so I called, I called Q and he was just, pardon the pun, over the moon about the idea. So Q and I got together in studio at some ungodly hour, like 2.30 in the morning, I think. Uh, and uh, they, I, I love, I mean, I still get chill bumps just thinking about the communication with NASA. And I love, how, I love the language, of course, of how NASA talks to you. Mr. Smiley, are you ready for the event? Uh, yes, NASA, I am ready for the event. Mr. Smiley, the event will commence in five minutes. And they start counting you down. And you, get, you, hear, all this, you hear all this stuff in your ear, all these sounds. Uh, the, as we say in radio, these ambient sounds of them uh, back and forth with the space shuttle. And all this stuff's in your ear. And Quincy and I are just sitting there just, you know, just like two kids in a candy store, giddy for this conversation. Uh, Mr. Smiley, the event will commence in, in 30 seconds, and they count you down. And then in 30 seconds, Mr. Smiley, the event commences right now. And then you hear, fly me to the moon, playing in outer space. And then, Mr. Smiley, can you talk with the space shuttle? Yes, NASA, I'm ready to talk to the space shuttle. And then they connect you. And then Quincy and I had the greatest times of our lives for just 10 or 15 minutes. 
listening to this song, Fly Me to the Moon, being played in the space shuttle. We had this great conversation with the astronauts. Again, I get goosebumps even telling the story. One of the great moments of my life, Charles Bolden. Uh, the closest I'll ever get to being in outer space, I think. But I enjoyed that moment that day, sir. Well, I'm glad you did, and I hope it is not the closest you'll ever get to being in outer space because <laughs> today it is possible for you to do that. And it's still a little pricey. Yeah, but uh, but you've got good friends, and so there may be a way for you to do that. Yeah. What what do you, since you went there, what do you make of um, of space travel? There, there there are all kinds of companies. Uh, I mentioned Elon Musk earlier. We're celebrating. Well, he's celebrating. Somebody's celebrating the one year anniversary of Twitter. It ain't what it used to be. And I said earlier in our first hour, he bought it for forty four billion. And now it's worth like 18 or 19 billion. So that's a lot of money he's lost because people have just walked away from it. And it ain't what it used to be. That, that notwithstanding, I raise him because whether it's Elon Musk or, or Jeff Bezos or others, there are a lot of folks in this business now of space travel for everyday Americans, if you can afford it. What do you make of that? I'm a big fan. And in fact, I finished, I, just, I was just talking with a group of college students um, earlier today who were talking about entrepreneurship in space, and um, I expressed to them my satisfaction with the entry of people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk mm -hmm. and other billionaires because their bringing technology to play has decreased the amount of money that NASA and other government agencies have to spend on doing things that the private sector mm -hmm. can do. You know, NASA's NASA sought to uh, use uh, refurbished or reusable spacecraft forever, that was the space shuttle, the purpose of the space shuttle. But but we found that uh, we wanted to take it apart every time it came back and rebuild it. Mm -hmm. And so any safe cost savings went out the window with that. Uh, Elon and, and Jeff Bezos don't do that. They say theirs is, is reusable, and they reuse it. They fly it several times. You know, yeah. they'll dust it off and go fly. And it's just as safe as we were with shuttle. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of relying on people who can afford it uh, offsetting the cost to, to me and you, the taxpayer, uh, so that we can get things done quicker and more efficiently. I'm a huge fan of Charles Bolden. He is an American icon. As I mentioned, he's done all this in the body of a black man. He is the former administrator <laughs> for NASA. He's a retired Marine Corps Major General, a former astronaut who flew on not one but four space shuttle missions. I'm just getting started in this hour with Charles Bolden. As I said earlier, if a guy who ran NASA can't give you a good phone line, you're in trouble. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Unapologetically progressive, progressive. unapologetically blind. You're tapped into Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. More of Tavis Smiley and Charles Bolden uh, talking about new discoveries in space. In case you just tuned in, Charles Bolden, retired um, general in the Marine Corps, a retired former administrator for NASA, a black astronaut who flew on four different space shuttle missions, just delighted and thrilled to be in dialogue with him uh, for the hour. Um, Charles Bolden, before we go forward, let me go back for a second. I was thinking uh, earlier this morning, preparing for today's conversation, um, uh, about Guy Bluford. Um, and I wanted to just get you to say a word about that. Um, we've come a long way, a long way in, uh, in uh, the race uh, to and into space. We're at the point now in 2023, as you mentioned earlier, where we, we now have private companies that can get you up into outer space. Uh, still a little pricey at the moment. But that's how far this uh, program has gone. The private sector is now engaged in this when back in the day it was uh, just NASA. As you well know, of course, Guy Bluford um, was the first African-American uh, to have the opportunity to go up into space. 
Uh, you flew, uh, again, four space shuttle missions, but Guy Bluford was the first one, as I recall. Uh, shout out to the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Guy Bluford was born in Philadelphia. Shout out to, w, uh, to, to the word in Philly, where this program is heard. But he's born in Philly, uh, ends up becoming the first African-American to be launched into space. Sadly, we all know what happened. Um, shortly after takeoff, the Challenger explodes in 1986. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was a college student at Indiana University, and I was tuned into the television because I knew that we were, the, for the first time ever, launching a black man. I'd seen uh, <laughs> Star Trek uh, uh, and uh, uh, Gail in uh, her iconic role on, uh, on Star Trek, uh, Uhura. Uh, I, I'd seen her, but here we now are yeah, with, yeah. Yeah, with, a, with a real African-American who's being launched into space, and that thing blew up in front of our, all of our eyes. Uh, I remember, again, like it was yesterday back in 1986. I, I just wonder if you would say a word about what it meant back in 86 for us to finally get a black person uh, on yeah. that launch pad yeah. to go into outer space. And let me, Travis, Travis, let me let me go back a little bit and because it, it just kind of correct a little bit. Okay. Um, Guy flew his flight in in uh, August of 1983. So you're absolutely right. Guy was the first African American to fly when when um, when NASA selected its first group of people specifically to fly the space shuttle right. in 1978. That was a class of 35. They got the nickname 35 New Guys, TFNG. Right. Um, but but there were six women and three blacks, Guy Bluford, Fred Gregory, and, Ron, and Dr. Ron McNair. Ron and I are both from South Carolina, grew up about 42 miles from each other, but did not know each other. Ron mm-hmm. went to, uh, Ron's a little bit younger than me, but uh, went to North Carolina MT because he had always wanted to be an astronaut, unlike me, who never wanted to be one. Right. But Ron flew um, his first flight also in 1983 on the heels of Guy's flight, and it was Ron who came back to fly... Um, uh, aboard Challenger in 1986 when we lost it. Guys, the good good news is Guy is still kicking. Yep, uh, I mean, Guy just, no, you're right. I mean, I, I, just, I said I said Guy because Guy's in that class. You're right. I meant yeah, Ron McNair. Absolutely. Exactly, I'm glad you corrected exactly, me. I'm glad you corrected and, me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and Guy is uh, Guy is still it. Believe it or not, he is still interacting with young people. And I I forgot which 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 80th some off birthday we just celebrated for Guy, but mm. but he is just as as vibrant as he always was. And Guy tells young people today while being an astronaut was really important it nothing beats being an engineer he is an aeronautical engineer through and through and he still says that's the most rewarding thing he had ever done so i i I just offer that for for young black people who you know who have aspirations in life here you got a guy that's the first black to fly in space right and the thing that he cherishes the most is is achieving the rank of engineer yep no, I'm glad you corrected me on that. I, I, I'm looking at all these notes in front of me, and you're right. It was Ron McNair who, who perished in that flight on, in 86. Um, but my, my, my broader question is, uh, given what happened then, uh, and we've not had anything, uh, thankfully, anywhere near uh, that kind of catastrophe since then, um, what do you make of the progress that we've made in that regard? I think we've done incredibly well. Uh, you know, shuttle flew 135 missions mm-hmm. over the 30-year lifetime and in that period of time we lost two vehicles but um we we recovered from both and and we we've managed to close out in in great fashion and we've now moved into the commercial space flight era uh everybody was worried about commercial the commercial sector being able to fly 
spacecraft that were as safe as, as the shuttle and as safe as things that NASA put together. But I am very satisfied with the spacecraft that, that uh, SpaceX has produced. Mm-hmm. Boeing is still struggling, but they have a crew vehicle that we hope will fly crews to space sometime next year. We have another company, Sierra Space, out of um, uh, Nevada, and, and now actually out of Florida, that uh, has a winged vehicle that should fly cargo beginning next year and then follow on with a with a, a crewed version. So this, the safety record for commercial space flight is exceptional. Mm-hmm. When you had the opportunity uh, to become NASA administrator, I made the joke earlier, you've done all this stuff in the body of a black man, and I, I always make that point because <laughs> I think I think folk get tickled by the fact that uh, that a brother at one point was literally running NASA. Um, tell me why. Tell me why you took that opportunity and what you made of the fact that you were able to do that. That this opportunity uh, allowed the country to see a brother running NASA. Well, Tavish, you gotta. You know, you're you're making my story sound too big. The reason uh, I took that opportunity was because the first African American, the first black man to ever be first and only yep. to ever be president of the United States, Barack Obama. Uh, asked me if I would do that, if he could nominate me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife told me not to go to Washington. We were living in Houston, Texas, and I got a call saying that the president wanted to talk to me. And they wouldn't tell me what about. But So my wife said, do not go. <laughs> because he, because he's going he's gonna to ask you to do something, and you don't know how to say no. And I said, Jack, don't, trust me, I am not accepting anything. I just have to meet Barack Hussein Obama. I, I love the man. I idolize him. I just want to be in the same room with him. So my wife gave in, and I traveled to, to D.C., and we finally met for about 25 minutes. And right. he did most of the talking about how inspiring the Apollo program had been for him as a kid growing up with his grandparents in Hawaii right. and how much he wanted NASA to, to, to reinvigorate that kind of inspiration in young people, how he wanted to spread it around the world. And he had just incredible big ideas. And he was a tech nut. He's a lawyer, but he loves technology. Mm-hmm. And so he did not ask me to be the NASA administrator, didn't even mention it. I went back home to Texas, and I said, I got away. I said, no no offers, no nothing, so we can go back to life. A few weeks later, we I got a call that said, hey, the president would like to nominate you to be the administrator of NASA. And I said, uh, I can't answer that question. I've got to talk to my family. So mm-hmm. can I call you back? And, and I sat my family down and we talked and they said, that's a dumb question. You got to do that. So I, I accepted it, got a, a confirmed by the Senate and then served both terms with President Obama. And it was an absolutely incredible experience, not not just running the space agency, but working for a person who I still believe is one of the greatest presidents we've ever had in this country. When you look at, at accomplishments and, and especially accomplishments over adversity. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me ask you a couple of things about that Obama meeting. Um, and I, it, it, there are two things that are running through my head at the same time. Let me do this first. Um, what did you think <laughs> what, when, you left the White, when you left the White House, you left the Oval Office, and Obama has not offered you any position, but he wanted to just meet you and talk to you for 25 minutes. What, what did you think that meeting was about? Well, actually, it was the second meeting I'd had at the White House. The first one had come several weeks earlier with his, his chief scientist, Dr. Uh, John Holdren, who right. talked. we talked for an hour. And they were picking, as they put it, they were picking my brain about NASA because they had ideas, and they just wanted to hear from somebody who had been on the inside. I, uh, Tavis, 
my friends will tell you I am the most naive uh, person <laughs> on the face of the planet. And so I went in and came out of both meetings believing what they told me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, thinking there is no no chance in hell that I'm going to be because my name had not been raised. I didn't know President Obama. I had not been involved in his campaign. And, and a whole bunch of names came up. So I was shocked when we got the call saying that he wanted to nominate me to be the NASA administrator. Yeah. The second thing is kind of fighting me. Uh, I, I have had the honor in my life uh, of being in a number of meetings with a number of different presidents. And sometimes I've been in meetings where we were, we, a few of us were going in to tell the president one thing and everybody in the group was like, we're going to tell him this. We're going to tell him this. We're going to tell him this. And we're going to tell him this. And I'm going to say this and I'm going to say that. And you're going to say this. And you get in there in that Oval Office. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and everybody freezes right because you you're in the room talking to the president of the united states you're in the oval office and all that stuff you said you're gonna tell the president and yeah. it, 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 it kind of just go, it kinda goes out the window and 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 the power and, and the presence of that moment uh the, the presence rather of, of that being in that space uh, just kind of throws you off kilter so uh, i'm i'm laughing at you telling your wife you got away you only got you only got away charles because he didn't offer you nothing that day that's the reason why you got away and there is a point i will make about him i you know i am i'm i always love to tell people why i loved him yeah he was so good at putting you at ease one I had no expectation that he was going to ask me to do anything, right. first of all. Second thing was he didn't even hint that he was even thinking about asking me to do anything. And he started a conversation that lasted, like I said, for about 25 minutes in which he did most of the talking. But when he gave me an opportunity to talk, he always did it through asking me a question. And I told him exactly what I thought and what was on my mind. So you know, I tell people all the time, it's like you, you're a phenomenal interviewer. The interviewer makes the interview, not the person being interviewed. Because if the interviewer hasn't done their homework and hasn't set it up and doesn't know what they want to do, Obama was an incredible interviewer. He was he would be awesome as a radio talk show host. Because <laughs> Don't tell him that. Don't tell him that, Charles. Don't don't tell him that. Don't tell him that, man. <laughs> he, he he put me at ease and every time he asked a question it was a. I considered it to be a legitimate question. He wanted an answer, and he didn't want me to repeat back to him something that he had said. So we had a, an honest dialogue for a very short period of time. But there were a couple of things that that he coaxed out of me that I probably would not have said to him. I did not like the idea of a national space council, mm -hmm. and I made it very clear because I said, you know, you you don't need to have a whole big old organization between you and your NASA administrator, mm -hmm. um, and we didn't have one. But uh, I'm I'm not sure whether I had any influence on that. But yeah, yeah. We have um, one now. When, when you look back on that moment, obviously one of the great great joys and great honors of your life. But contextualize what it meant for you and your family to be asked by the nation's first African American president uh, to be the brother running NASA. When you look back on on the, <laughs> on, the, on, the on those terms, what, what do you what do you think now, Charles? I think the same thing now that I thought then, I, and it was that Ethel and Charles Bolden Sr., if they could, if they could just be here to see this. Oh, my mom yes. and dad had, yeah. both, had both passed, you know, by then. My father was my high school football coach, and he had always, I had grown up on a saying, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. Oh, yeah. And my mother 
had been my other role model and inspiration. And she's the one that taught me about studying hard, working hard, and never, ever, ever be afraid of failure. Don't let anybody tell you what you cannot do. And, and the, just the, just thinking that I was sitting in the office with the president of the United States, I said, you know, my mom and dad could be here now. They, they were watching. I know they were watching. Yeah. That, that, that was not a matter of question for me. But, but how proud they must be looking down on me. And I, I, re, I cherish that all the time when I think about yeah. you know, that experience. No, I feel that, man. That's real. I, I feel that, Charles Bolden. Um, speaking of your parents, how, how did you, wh- what happened in your young life? What were you turned on to or by that, that put you on this path? I'm always fascinated when I talk to, to black astronauts. <laughs> I've, talked to, I've talked to a few of y'all in my career. I'm always fascinated by the backstories because, uh, you know, the rest of us just call you guys nerds. But I'm always fascinated by how, how you guys get get on this path what's your story charles bolden uh i did not i was not on this path to be quite honest my mom and dad made a mistake when i was growing up they told me to be a risk taker Uh, (laughs) but they said you know they said take smart risk Mm. you know study really hard before you do something work hard on it and then if you fail that's okay uh just get up and come back and so that was the way i grew up Uh, i the the first hint that i wanted to do something in terms of public service was when I saw a program about life at the Naval Academy called Men of Annapolis when I was 12 years old. I was in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I decided that's where I wanted to go to school. And that kind of started everything because um, although I had to struggle to get into the Naval Academy because that was the Jim Crow South and I couldn't get an appointment from anybody in my congressional delegation, I I did manage to get in. And and I did pretty well while I was there. And, And I did two things that I said I would never do. I was not going to be a Marine because I thought Marines were crazy, and I was definitely not going to fly airplanes. I used to tell my, tell people that my mother did not raise a fool, <laughs> and uh, so flying was inherently dangerous. And as a result of meeting people who influenced me in my life after I went to the Naval Academy, I decided I was going to the Marine Corps and then later decided I was going to go fly airplanes, and one thing led to another. And that's how I, I stumbled into becoming an astronaut, and it was because Ron McNair, when I first met him, mm-hmm. uh, he embarrassed me because he asked me if I was going to apply for the space program, and I told him, not on your life. And he looked at me really strange, and he said, why not? I said, Ron, they'd never pick me. And he said, you know, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. He, I was a test pilot at the time at, at a place called Patuxent River, Maryland. He said, you got everything that, that they ask for, and, and you, you don't think they'd pick you? Uh, he said, that's stupid. And, and he went back home to Houston, and I went home, and I told my wife, I said, you know, Jackie, I, uh, I'm going to do something that you might think is crazy. I'm going to apply for the astronaut program. And I said, if, I don't want to, I don't want to look back years from now and say, Great. what do you, yeah. you know? We, I wish I had done it. Ron, Ron embarrassed me until applying. I got a few questions about that Ron McNair story you just told that I want to interrogate you on when we come forward. You're listening to Charles Bolden, former NASA administrator, uh, former NASA astronaut, uh, retired uh, general uh, in the Marine Corps, all of that uh, right now on Tavis Smiles. This is getting good. Tavis Smiley continues when we come forward. forward. rooting for everybody black everybody black, black. more of tavis smiley coming your way right now right now, right now. more right of tavis smiley in dialogue with charles bolden former nasa administrator retired united states marine corps major general former astronaut who flew on four space shuttle missions was just telling us a, a, a great story an amazing story about what happened when he met ron mcnair of course, he, he corrected me earlier, and I'm glad he did. Just too many, too many facts in front of me running through my head. Um, Ron McNair, of course, was on that space shuttle in 1986, 
uh, challenger that blew up um, uh, right after takeoff. Uh, but he, he, he knew Ron McNair, and he met Ron McNair, and Ron McNair gave him some, some great advice. For those who may have just tuned in, Charles, just retell that part of the story, what Ron McNair told you when you met him, uh, and then I, I, I want to follow up on that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, very briefly, Ron, I spent a weekend with Ron when he came with some of his classmates from the astronaut office to visit the, the Naval Test Pilot School, where a lot of his fellow classmates had, had spent time learning to be, an, uh, be test pilots and had, had served there. And uh, when I took him back to his airplane to go back to Houston, he asked me if I was going to apply to be an astronaut. He's, I told him, not on your life. And uh, at that point, Ron looked at me incredulously and said, why not? And I told him they'd never pick me. And he said, you know, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he embarrassed me so because my mom and dad had always told me and my brother, we could do anything we wanted to do if we were willing to study hard and work hard for it and never, ever be afraid of failure or let somebody tell us something we could do. And I've forgotten that. So when Ron got in his shiny NASA T-38 and sped back to Houston, Texas, I went home and told my wife I was going to do something stupid. I was going to apply for the space program, fully expecting not to be selected. And um, and I did and got an opportunity to interview, and I was so subsequently selected in the class right behind Ron two yeah. years later. Um, uh, I tell you what I do know for sure, uh, and this I know I'm right about, <laughs> because I just talked to him not too long ago. So Ed Dwight, you know Ed Dwight, of course. Oh, um, yes. Ed Dwight was the first African-American to be trained as an astronaut. He was selected by John Kennedy back in the day. Um, it didn't quite work out, because if Ed Dwight were here, he'd tell you right now that they just weren't ready. Uh, Kennedy had his own ideas about what it meant. Uh, back in the 60s to pick a black man to be uh, the first African-American to be trained as an astronaut, but they really weren't ready for Ed Dwight then. Fortunately, uh, years later, things worked out for him. He's now one of the most renowned sculptors in this country and indeed around the world. He's done some remarkable work as an artist. So it turned out the way it was supposed to turn out, I guess, for Ed Dwight, but there was there was a time uh, when NASA um, uh, wasn't ready for African-Americans. I say all that to ask, when you look back on it, uh, what what was it like? What what is it like for black folk to be inside of NASA at the astronaut level? Yeah, I'm going to answer that question, Tavis. But since you mentioned Ed Dwight, I have to tell an Ed Dwight story. Please do, please he do. Dear, he is a dear friend. You know, Ed, in spite of what he went through and the discrimination that he faced, as you said, he is now one of the world's most renowned sculptors. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if you go to, to Austin, Texas, in front of the state capitol, there's a massive mural that's called Emancipation. I mean, it's got life-size human figures in it, and it stretches across the front of the capitol, uh, titled Emancipation, and it, talk, it tells the story of, of blacks from slavery to you know, to today, to freedom. And, uh, and I, when I, when I saw it, I just could not believe the fact that of all places for Ed Dwight's work to be displayed Mm. is in front of the Capitol in the state of Texas that is trying to take us back Mm -hmm. to the beginning of that emancipation trail. So that's my Ed Dwight story that he, he, he wins in the end. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, with his artwork, but, but getting into the astronaut office is um, it's it's luck as much as anything else. It's very competitive, mm-hmm. and um, and and I think you know they look for three things. They look for you know your prep, your academic background. They look for somebody with a technical background, so that's mm-hmm. math, science, engineering, anything like that. They look for three years of operational experience, so somebody like a test pilot, 
or with someone with a PhD gets credit for three years of operational experience because they, they know they've been doing research or they've been doing testing evaluations and they don't worry about that. And then the other one is just a very well-rounded human being. They're, they're looking for somebody who's done sports, who's done clubs, who's been active in the community because they want a, a well-rounded human being to do that. So that makes it pretty competitive. But once you get there, um, I found it to be, um, you know, it, it is in Houston, Texas. Yeah. Uh, and when I went there in 1980, Houston, Texas and Pasadena and some of the areas around it were, were still living in the old South. So, um, you know, we, while we, I didn't face any discrimination or anything that I noticed while I was in the astronaut office or around the Johnson Space Center or any other center uh, in NASA around the country. But but they they had no way to guard against what you were going to experience when you went you know when you went outside the gate. Yeah, so yeah. but I thought the encouragement and the support that I got uh, for my 14 years in the astronaut office was was incredible. Uh, it occurs to me I've never had the opportunity to ask this particular question of a black astronaut, but I get a chance to ask mm-hmm. it now since you're here. Um, when mm-hmm. you as a black astronaut when you saw the movie, I assume that you did. Hidden figures. What did you make of it? I was. Um, I loved the movie first of all, and I probably was not. I was blown away by the movie, but I was probably not as blown away as the average person because I actually had never heard of Katherine Johnson until about a a year or so before the movie came out, and um, and I was preparing a commencement speech to be given at West Virginia State University. Mm-hmm. And um, and my speechwriter, uh, a guy by the name of Gray Hotaloma, who just retired from NASA, Gray had written this speech, and throughout the speech was peppered this name, Katherine Johnson. And I said, who the hell is Katherine Johnson? So I called him, and I, <laughs> I said, Gray, you got to help me here. I said, I- I'm black, but I have never heard of Katherine Johnson. Mm. And, uh, and he said, he came up, he said, and he told me the story of Katherine Johnson and the women who, you know, had affectionately been called hidden figures. And I gave that speech and talked about Katherine Johnson for my entire time with the student body at West Virginia State because my my guess was, and I'm certain I was I was correct, they had never heard of Katherine Johnson either. Mm-hmm. And they should be more so proud of her as an alum of their institution. I don't know whether I had anything to do with it or not, but about a year later, I sat and cried like a baby in the East Room of the White House as President Obama presented the, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Wow. To she, you know, wow. She, she was in a wheelchair, yeah. but she was as lucid and, and as, as conversant as anybody. I think she was 80-some-odd years old then. And, uh, but to sit there and to see this woman that I didn't even know who the hell she was a year or so before, and then to see this movie, I, I was, I mean, I was blown away by it because I recognized the fact that the world was now going to see what these women had done. And, uh, and oh, another a, a side story here. Sure. Believe it or not, the person who talks about hidden figures now as much as anybody else is Ted Cruz, uh-huh. senator from, New, from Texas. That's right. He, uh, because his, he, he claims his mother, and I don't, I don't doubt him, the hidden figures, the women in the space program were white and black yeah. because they would not, NASA would not allow women to serve as engineers in those days. So many of them were mathematicians, just like Katherine Johnson. And they kept the women separated uh, at the Langley Research Center, black women in one building, white women in the other. 
And Ted Cruz claims that his mother was a hidden figure in one of the buildings at NASA. And I said, okay, when you talk about uh, banning books and burning books and, <laughs> and all this other stuff, yeah. and, and yet you want to claim yeah. your mother as a hidden figure, uh, get it right. No, nope. So tell nope. the whole story. No, that's why I love Charles Bowden. He does not hold his tongue uh, and demands that others tell the whole story. Radio is a fascinating medium because you never know – what you're going to get. Uh, and sometimes these questions are assumptive. I just assumed uh, and hoped when I asked that question that he'd actually seen the movie Hidden Figures. I hoped he had. Didn't know that he had. I had never asked him that question. But to hear him tell that story, he didn't know who Catherine Johnson was. <laughs> uh, he, he'd he been a black astronaut, had flown in all these, uh, had flown on four space shuttle missions, had been appointed by the first black president to be the brother to run NASA, and didn't know who Catherine Johnson was. And then he ends up at a ceremony in the White House with Obama, giving her the presidential medal of freedom. That, ladies and gentlemen, is an amazing story, as told only uh, by Charles Bolden, who could tell it uh, with the spirit and vigor that he did. More with uh, Charles Bolden when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. We're honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Tavis Smiley in dialogue with Charles Bolden. Um, I want to ask you a couple of things. I'm just watching my time here. Um, I think the first thing I want to ask you about is um, the advice that your parents gave you earlier to not be afraid of failure. Here you are going into arenas. And as I've established in this conversation repeatedly, you've done things that most black folk would never get a chance to do in their lives and go places that most of us have never gone. Uh, most of us never will. Some will when the price comes down. Uh, but what, what, have you, what have you learned about not being afraid of failure, Charles Bowden? I, you know, I think what my mom and dad intended for me was that uh, that I would not let anybody tell me I could not do something. That I wouldn't worry about uh, not being accepted somewhere and 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 not try. Um, I also have learned, as most people do, that I learn more when I when I fail at something than I ever learn when I succeed. So I don't. I tell kids, I'm not telling you to go out and try to fail, but mm-hmm. I'm telling you to stretch your stretch your your limits. Uh, try things that you aren't sure you can accomplish, but that you you know you've got the talent and the skill to do it. And then if you fail, get up and keep going. There are all kinds of little sayings, you know, about boxers. The, the biggest thing about a boxer is to get to knock down and get back up. My dad was my high school football coach, and um, he taught me how to cry, <laughs> believe it or not, because we didn't lose very many football games. But when we did, uh, he said, look, this is supposed to hurt. And uh, so go ahead, cry, get it out, and then come back and make sure we don't do this again. And, and those were lessons that were invaluable to me, um, you know, to just to be able as a grown man to, to shed a tear or to cry or to show people that, that you have emotions and stuff like that. That I learned that from my dad. One of the most powerful things I've heard in a long time, Charles Bolden, I hear great things on this program every day from great guests, but to hear you say as a black man that your black father taught you how to cry, that phrase, that story is arresting to me. Well, I mean, you know, we're supposed to be brave. We're, we're uh, one of the things, and I am a person of faith. Yeah, so let me, sure. There are going to be some people who are going to be out upset by what I say. Uh, but as a, as a black man of faith, sometimes I'm bothered by the way that we celebrate our, our Christian faith. You know, we, we sometimes will want people to believe that we're supposed to suffer. Mm. You know, that's what God intended for us. No, Mm. God did not intend for us to suffer. 
we are really good at doing it. Mm. We're better at doing it and surviving than anybody else. Nikki Giovanni, who's a, a dear friend, wrote a book called, in search, I think it's In Search of the Black IP, years ago during the Civil Rights Movement. And one of the poems in it is called We Are Going to Mars. And, and yep. she, <laughs> she, she recites that, and it is incredible because in the poem, she says, you know, when we go to Mars, not mm, if. That's right. When we go to Mars, that's it right. is appropriate that black people, black women, should be on that first crew because they understand adversity and, and being yes. able to survive not knowing where you're going because we survived, you know, the Middle Passage. Yep. I know so many powerful things that my mom and dad taught me and that my friends have taught me about life that says never, ever, ever give up. Don't don't ever give up yeah. because you never know what's going to happen. Nope. Uh, I, I know that Nikki Giovanni, Nikki Giovanni poem quite well. And as I mentioned earlier, you didn't hear this, but uh, I mentioned earlier, Nikki Giovanni is our guest on Thursday. So uh, there's another opportunity, thanks to Charles Bowden, to shout out Nikki Giovanni as a guest on Tavis Smiley this Thursday. More with Charles Bowden and I remaining moments, in fact, when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Rank number 45 on the heavy hundred list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. Helping to make you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. Just about three minutes left here in dialogue with uh, Charles Bowden, former NASA administrator, uh, former astronaut, uh, four space shuttle missions, uh, and retired uh, uh, major general in the Marine Corps. All the stuff he said he would never do. <laughs> that, 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 I'm laughing. All the things I just mentioned that are the hallmark of his career are the things he said he would never do. He did all of them and did all of them well. Uh, let me close with this. Um, what, what, I, I assume even though you're not at NASA anymore, you retired, you're still keeping your eye on it. And one of the issues I know they're, they're focused on it takes us full circle in this conversation. What's called uh, it's called uh, mission authorization. With all these uh, commercial people getting involved now in space travel, uh, there are concerns that the government needs to keep its eye and keep its hand on mission authorization. Your thoughts? Uh, that's something about which uh, I'm working on right now with with others and uh, different study groups, and it is an issue. We, what we want is we want to make sure that there are regulations that keep spaceflight safe. Yes. For both people on in the spacecraft and people on the ground, uh, and that there is um, is little uh, chance of collisions and the like, and, and yet still leave room for innovation in the private sector for people to come with new ideas. Uh, so we haven't solved the problem yet, but I think what we're going to do is we'll end up with some one federal agency. It may be the Department of Commerce that's responsible for for providing mission authorization for a flight to be flown. But but that that's the way we're going to ensure that people have met certain safety standards, certain human rating standards, and engineering standards before they're allowed to fly uh, to try to keep it safe for everybody, both on the ground and in space. i got a minute and a half here. Two things I want to cover right quick. One, just because I'm curious, what would you say to black folk in particular about why, to the extent you would, encourage them to do space travel at some point when they can afford it. Why? Why would you why, why, on, why, why would you advise them to do that or consider it? Simply put, there is nothing at all like viewing our planet from the vantage point of space. It changes your whole perspective about this, this planet on which we live. It is so breathtakingly beautiful. Yeah. Um, and it, it gives you an appreciation for our responsibility to the planet and the people who live on it. You know, Earth's going to be here. We yeah. we always talk about destroying Earth. Earth is going to be here for a billion more years, probably. 
we won't. We, we won't hear you exactly. Preserve the environment, <laughs> and I think that's really important. And and you get you get an example of that when you fly in space. It's, Plus, a, it's, fun. it's a powerful point. Yeah, Earth will be here. Will we? Is the question. Uh, yeah, my my, right. my last question in the thirty seconds I have left. Um, what have you learned? I, for those listening to this conversation, I'm sure they've enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, what have you learned, Charles Bolden, about not saying or about saying rather what you ain't gonna do? I'm not gonna do this. I'm not gonna do that. Oh, yeah. What have you learned about that, man? Very simple. Never say never. Yeah. That that's that's what I learned. I you know, you may not think you're gonna do something, but don't yeah, don't say never because no. you never know what opportunity and, and in my case I just didn't have any idea what opportunities were yeah. gonna be made no, I they get it. brought my way. Yep. No, I, I was I always laughing, you know, Negro you you can hear Negro saying now, nah, I tell you what I tell you what I'm not gonna do. I tell you what we not gonna oh, do. Yeah, yeah I, okay, whatever. I was notorious <laughs> for it. Notorious. <laughs> His name is Charles I, Bowden, former NASA administrator. Retired U.S. Marine Corps Major General, former astronaut on four different space shuttle missions. I always, Charles Bowden, enjoy these dialogues. Let's make sure it doesn't happen. Uh, that the, the, the time between now and the next one isn't, isn't as long as this last one was. But I thank you for your time, brother. I, I hope not. Thank you so very much. It's great to talk to you. And tell Nikki I said hello. I will tell Nikki you said hello on Thursday.